all that it means and all that it points to, and that is you. Thank you for allowing yourself to be betrayed for our sake. Thank you, Jesus, for initiating and ordaining and beginning this Lord's Supper that we participate in each week at Mercy Hill, designed to remind us of your death and of your resurrection and all that you've done for us to save and change us. Lord, as we break the bread, it reminds us of your broken body for us. As we drink the juice, it reminds us of your shed blood on the cross for us to cleanse us from our sins. Thank you that the Lord's Supper points to the future Lord's Supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb that we will celebrate with you when you return and you bring us home and usher us into the new heavens and the new earth and then this, this ultimate wedding reception with you where we finally celebrate the Lord's Supper in all its glory uh, with you. And I'm, we're looking forward to it. Th- thank you for that hope that the Lord's Supper points to. I pray that every word, Holy Spirit, would be from you and for you and your glory today. I ask for your help in this moment. Through Christ we pray. Amen. All right, at this time I'll invite Arnell to read today's scripture for us. reading from uh, the book of First uh, Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as you often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you very much, Arnell. Uh, we're going through a current sermon series. We're not quite yet at Christmas. That begins next Sunday. And so our current series is uh, simply, show me what the Bible says about. And the idea is to share some basic, Bible-basic, core doctrines that are sort of foundational for Christianity and what we believe. And some of this is based loosely upon uh, what is called the New City Catechism, a sort of modernized uh, catechism, 52 question and answers that teach very well and very helpfully the core beliefs of the Bible. Highly encourage you, if you, you have not yet downloaded this free app called New City Catechism. You can do it if you're an Android person. You can even do it if you're an Apple person. And just go to the App Store looking for, looking for the New City Catechism app. Here's what we're looking at today specifically, and it has to do with food, which I love. It has to do with a meal with God. Imagine that. I'm having a meal with God. That's what our message is about. It's, it's simply entitled, What is the Lord's Supper? What is this thing called the Lord's Supper, otherwise known as communion or the Eucharist or celebrating Mass in some church traditions? And as it turns out, I myself was born and raised in the same uh, tradition of churches that Mercy Hill currently belongs to. It's a group of churches called the Restoration Movement. And the heart and the soul of the Restoration Movement is simply getting back to being restored to The idea of what the New Testament church was like 2,000 years ago, well, we should sort of gain our inspiration and practices and ideas and approach to church from the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts. And as a result, there are really two 
key things about the restoration movement that are really important to it. One is baptism, which we're celebrating today. And the other key thing is what we are doing today is talking about the Lord's Supper. Baptism and the Lord's Supper, we believe, are the two key things ordained by Jesus for a local church like us. And that's why the Mercy Hill, you may have noticed if you've been around here, we celebrate the Lord's Supper each and every Sunday. Why? That seems to be the pattern of the New Testament church in the Bible. Anytime they would gather together, in fact, they would often celebrate the Lord's Supper, okay? And it was often around a potluck meal, unlike kind of what we do. This is a little different. But anyhow, this is the church tradition that I myself come from and I grew up in. And as a kid, some of my earliest memories of the Lord's Supper was when I was two or three years old. And for me, the Lord's Supper was juice and crackers time. It was juice and crackers time. Fun time, all right, for a kid. Nothing better than juice and crackers for a kid. Am I right? I mean, it's sort of like beer and pizza for adults. I mean, juice and crackers has that kind of, you know, you look forward to it in that same kind of way. But the problem is when I was a kid in church, when the tray of crackers and that tray of juice would come around, I would watch, you know, mom and dad eat this cracker and then drink this little miniature cup of juice. And I would sort of hold my mouth open like, where's my cracker? Where's my juice? Where's deposit this food into my mouth? I'm a kid. I live for juice and crackers. It's, it's my deal. Now, did they ever drop a little cracker or deposit some juice or pour some juice into my gaping whole mouth? No, they did not. And I was sort of like, at that time, very disappointed. You know what? This, what sort of cruel joke are you playing with me, mom and dad? Why do all the adults get to enjoy juice and crackers time, but us little kids who love juice and crackers a lot more than you do, we get the shaft. Child abuse. This is child abuse. Not really. But you see, there was a good reason for why mom and dad did not prevent, they prevented us and me from participating in the Lord's Supper at the time. And I will hopefully have time to explain that later. But I did not understand what this miniature snack time was all about in the service. Perhaps you felt the same way. You, maybe you're new to church, new to this whole deal. You know, why do the crackers and juice come around every Sunday? Pastor, there he is. He's quoting some, some scripture very often. The scripture holds words from Jesus along these lines. This is my flesh, take and eat. This is my blood, take and drink. I mean, if you hear that for the first time, you're new to church. I mean, the red alert alarm is going off or should go off in your brain thinking, have I just joined a cult gathering? This is really weird. Eat Jesus' flesh and body, drink his blood. What is going on? And so to eliminate confusion is what we're all about today. We want to help you understand what this meal that we celebrate all the time in church is all about. And then some of you have done this Lord's Supper thing for quite some time. And I want to, you've been sort of longer term in this deal. <clears throat> and I simply want to remind you of the huge significance of the Lord's Supper. This is going to be helpful to remind you all about it and that it is so important to Jesus. Therefore, it should be really important to us. We get, used, we get into the grind of the Lord's Supper. We forget the meaning and the significance behind that. So with that, uh, will you look at point number one in your notes? There's a sermon outline in your bulletin if you do want to follow along and fill in some blanks there. Number one in your notes is simply, understanding the Passover roots of the Lord's Supper is critical. Understanding the Passover roots of the Lord's Supper is critical. Here's what I want to share with you is that God by his very nature, is a foreshadowing sneak preview 
kind of God. Very often in the Old Testament, God would speak prophetically through his prophets. He would speak to God's people ahead of time. Why? To show that he is, the, he is God over time. He is the sovereign Lord over all. He is guiding human history according to his own will. And he knows the future even well before it happens. And we see this also with this Lord's Supper meal, and we see it with its Passover roots here. And I believe that you can only fully adequately grasp the, the meaning and the hugeness of the Lord's Supper when you see it, how it's, it has roots in this Passover meal that was uh, God instituted for his people 3,200 years ago. Isn't that amazing? All right, let me explain this. You ready for this? A bit of a history sort of story lesson now. The first ever Passover uh, was seen or is seen in Exodus chapter 12 of the Bible. This was 3,200 years ago. And Moses at that time was sent by God. God's people were, were in horrific, horrible slavery to the Egyptians for a full 400 years. And they're crying out to God. They're praying to God, save us, deliver us from these horrible Egyptians. And so God hears them and he responds. And he sends Moses to them to lead them out of Egypt and then eventually into the promised land where freedom reigns. And so to showcase God's great power, ten plagues are cast upon the Egyptian nation at that time before they are released. And the final plague out of the, the big ten plagues is the most devastating. Moses, he warns the king of Egypt, his name is Pharaoh, he says, let my people go. And, and if you don't let my people go, God's going to judge you, cast this last plague upon you, and he's going to take the life of every firstborn child, uh, every firstborn son, by sending the angel of death. And that's what's going to happen if you don't let my people go. Do you think Pharaoh would listen? You think he would after God delivers these nine previous bad plagues before that, but no, his heart is hardened and he says no to releasing God's people. All right? So here's what God does and instructs his people to do, the Hebrew nation at that time. He says, what you need to do now is celebrate a Passover meal in your homes in order to make the angel of death pass over, okay, pass over your home so that your firstborn son is not killed, so that your family is protected, so that your family is saved. And it's this very same Passover meal that Jesus celebrates with his disciples 2,000 years ago in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in this meal, he ordains and begins and institutes and initiates what is known as the Lord's Supper. All right, it's his supper. He started it. That's why we celebrate it. And this is part of God's sovereign design. So what I want you to do, bear with me, I want to compare, I want to juxtapose the Passover meal and its gospel connections, its connections with Jesus. Are you ready for this? Today's message is more teachy than preachy, okay? There's more detail than usual, but bear with me. This is really good stuff, really powerful. First thing you need to know about the Passover meal originally, God told every household to sacrifice a lamb. And this was a, not just an average lamb, this was a perfect lamb uh, without blemish, perfectly white, without any sort of defect. So it didn't have five legs, it couldn't have three legs, it couldn't have ten legs, it had to have four legs, without defect or anything like that. And then... Um, you need to eat this lamb together as your meal. And so barbecue is fantastic. And anyhow, the connection is with Jesus. Jesus, time and again, is referred to in the Bible as who? And as what? As the Lamb of God, slaughtered for us on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And this perfect, this Lamb of God, by the way, was perfect. 
Jesus never sinned, no blemish, no spot on him at all. He's the perfect sacrifice, perfect Lamb of God, slaughtered for us. Then God tells the Hebrews, back to the Passover, take some, this is going to be a little bit horrific, so bear with me if you're on the younger side or just a little, uh, you don't like the talk of, of this sort of thing, um, but he instructs them, take some blood from the Lamb, okay, and then paint it, I know this is weird and sort of graphic, but here we go, paint it on the wooden doorposts of the outside of your home which would then later be the sign to the angel of death to then, oh, there's the blood, I see it, I see the red stuff, I'm going to pass over this home, you see, to literally pass over that home and then not bring death to the firstborn son. Well, when Jesus instituted this Lord's Supper, he said that this cup of wine, it symbolizes his blood, which was shed for us on the wooden cross, the wooden cross, like those doorposts, where Jesus, he died in our place for our sins, where if you, if you trust in Jesus, the angel of spiritual death passes over you. And so what that means is, you have heaven in your future instead of judgment and hell and condemnation. He will pass over you. Death passes over. Praise be to God if you trust in Christ. Thank you, Lamb of God, for shedding your blood for us on that cruel wooden cross. Isn't that amazing? It's all foreshadowing. He is a foreshadowing God. All this to say that when you look at the meaning and the purpose of that original Passover meal 3,200 years ago, it makes the Lord's Supper come alive in a fresh new way for Christians today when we partake of communion. That's number one. Number two in your notes is simply this. important thing about the Lord's Supper is that it symbolizes Christ's death for us talked a bit about this already, but it really symbolizes Christ's death for us. Let me ask you, in terms of thinking about symbols, what is the most popular, well-known symbol in the world today? What would you say? I'll tell you before anyone says anything. It's the cross, okay? It's the cross. And I would say millions, tens of millions, maybe, maybe billions of people own some sort of cross symbol either with your jewelry or in your home in some way. I mean, there's three billion Christians in the world, okay? And in fact, the ring that I have, uh, it's a Lord's Prayer. I don't recommend getting this. It was a, anyhow, it's a long story, but it's got the Lord's Prayer on it. And on it is also a cross. So I have a cross on this ring, my wedding ring. And then the average Joe very often wears a cross around his or her neck. Uh, and then Justin Bieber, I mean, he wears a cross. I mean, then you name the athlete, the basketball athlete and so on, the football athlete, a lot of people, a lot of these guys wear the symbol of the cross around their neck or on their ring or elsewhere. And if you think about it, the cross in Jesus' time, the, you know, crucifixion by the Romans was the cruelest form of execution uh, at that time. It was just terrible. Uh, and so if you wear a symbol of the cross, it's like you're wearing a symbol of like an electric chair around your neck. It's just kind of weird, right? But it's, it's actually good, I think. I recommend wearing uh, the cross symbol, uh, especially if you believe in it and what it means and what it symbolizes. All that to say, the Lord's Supper is like the cross. It's like a, a cross with a meal, okay? A meal with a cross, if, if that makes any sense. It points to something, and it points to, it reminds us of the death of Jesus. Again, sounds somewhat morbid, but this is what we must do as we partake of this very important meal. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 28. It says, remember they're having the Passover meal. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, 
Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So here's, did you see that? When Jesus takes the bread, what does he do with it? He breaks it. Why? Why does he break it? Because it points to Jesus' own body being broken on the cross, effectively broken. Isaiah 53 talks about, by his stripes you are healed. And Jesus, part of his death and punishment was that he underwent uh, being whipped 39 times. And this was a whip that had bones and rocks embedded within it. And literally, there were, I have to be careful here, but ribbons of skin hanging off his back. That's where the stripes come from. All right, so by his stripes, you're healed. Isn't that amazing? And then the bread, the crackers that we eat, they symbolize Jesus' broken body for us. That's how much you mean to him, that he allowed himself to be, God allowed himself, his body to be broken for you. Then Jesus takes that cup of wine. And by the way, in the traditional Passover meal, there's not just one cup of wine, there's not two, there's actually four cups of wine. And each of those cups is connected to a specific promise in scripture that God gave the Hebrew nation at that time. So Jesus takes one of these four cups of wine. And what does he say it is? It's a symbol of his shed blood on the wooden cross poured out for many. For what purpose? So that your sins could be forgiven, washed away forever. Very quickly. Let me share with you one other verse that shows how the Lord's Supper symbolizes Christ's death for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, from the Apostle Paul, here's what he said. For as often as you eat this bread and then drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so what this means is every Sunday when we participate in the taking of the Lord's Supper, we celebrate it. What are we doing? We eat the bread and we drink the juice. We are proclaiming, we're, we're pointing to, we're, show, we're showing the death of Christ off, if you will, and then all the benefits that we receive because of the death of Jesus. The benefits that come to you when you trust in Jesus because of his death are enormous, are enormous. Let me li- just list a few of these benefits when you uh, trust in Christ. The benefits that come through the death of Christ, heaven instead of hell in your future, forgiveness for all of your sins in the past, committed today and committed tomorrow. All of those sins gone, washed away, forgiven. In addition, you were adopted, brought into God's family forever as his beloved son and as his beloved daughter. God's very own Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, is placed within you and lives within you to now empower you and give you the desire to live a life after Jesus, to live a flourishing kind of life. In addition, you are you are saved, you are given a new hope, you are given a new purpose in your life, and all of these things are given to you. Why? Because of the death of Jesus. All right. Not only does the death, or sorry, Lord's Supper symbolize the death of Christ for us, but it also does, number three in your notes, if you're following along, number three, simply this, it symbolizes how Jesus is our spiritual nourishment. It symbolizes how Jesus is our spiritual nourishment. Now, one of my primary weaknesses in life is food. I, I have a problem with eating too much of it. I love it. And part of the struggle with food for me uh, is that I can't just stop eating food. I mean, I, I could for a while, maybe I should, like fast for a week or two or four. Uh, but, you know, you and I, we need food. If we want to keep on living, we have to eat, okay? That's part of the challenge. And so 
I feel like I'm just doing something that I have to do, but then I overdo it. Anyhow, it's a long story. I'll, I'll save you the, the, the punishment of my own story about my challenge with food. But I need nourishment. You need nourishment that food provides. That's my point. Well, in like manner, in a much greater way, Jesus teaches us how he is our ultimate spiritual food. He is your ultimate spiritual nourishment, which is part of what the Lord's Supper points to and symbolizes. Look at John chapter 6, verse 53 to 56. It says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, pointing to future resurrection, like Jesus was, res- res- was resurrected. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. It's beautiful. Now again, at first glance, sounds kind of weird, sounds kind of morbid. Jesus wants us to feed on our flesh, on his flesh and drink his blood, you know, cult alert. But no, Jesus is not telling us to literally eat his flesh or literally drink his blood. No, no, no. Clearly he is speaking figuratively and symbolically here in every way. You see, before this teaching from Jesus, earlier in John chapter 6, what does Jesus do? He miraculously, supernaturally feeds 5,000 men. Well, you add women and children, we could be talking about him feeding fifteen to 20,000 people, and he did it miraculously. And the way in which he did it was he caused a small amount of bread and a small amount of fish to be multiplied in, in sort of a, a quiet way as the food was being distributed to God's people or to all these people, these thousands of people. There was more than enough for everyone. In fact, everyone had more food than they they can actually eat. There was leftovers. That's how generous Jesus was with with his physical nourishment that he provided to them. Now, what was the point of that great miracle by Jesus? It's to show them and to show us that he is the source of more than enough spiritual nourishment that you need and that I need, that he alone is your ultimate source for eternal life with God and a relationship of love with God. He's the one that your soul needs and needs to depend on every minute of every day going forward. You need God. You need Jesus. He is your bread. He is your soul bread, if I can put it that way. Looking at verses 53 to to 56 here, he connects the Lord's Supper with himself, meaning when you take the Lord's Supper, here's what you might pray and remember as you're doing so, okay? So imagine yourself praying something along these lines. Jesus, in this moment, I'm feeding on your flesh. I'm feeding on your blood. My spiritual nourishment is found in you alone. Thank you for your broken body and your shed blood on the cross for me, without which, without you doing that sacrifice as the perfect Lamb of God, I would have no eternal life with you. I would have no spiritual flourishing with you. I would have no significant change and transformation at the deepest level of who I am. And so I trust in you. You are my nourishment. Isn't that powerful? That's something to pray as you partake of it. The fourth key aspect as we move on. You're bearing, hanging in there? Fourth, number one, there's, there's six altogether and the last two are fairly quick. Uh, fourth key aspect of the Lord's Supper is that it's a reminder and demonstration of a local church's, like us, a local church's unity in following and trusting Jesus together. Some of you may know that uh, my son plays roller hockey and as it turns out, uh, by default, I was the only one that, actually, I didn't actually volunteer to be the coach of my son's team, but somehow I am the coach of my son's team. I think that's how it works sometimes, and I'm so grateful, sort of. Actually, I really enjoy it, 
and it's every Wednesday that we do a game, and, uh, but it's actually scary how much I enjoy coaching these young men. And uh, we are Team Blue, by the way. Uh, strangely, guess what color our jerseys are? Purple. I have no idea why. And what makes it really awkward is that I think Team Red also has purple jerseys. I can't figure out what's going on. I need, we need to ask some questions, but the guy's never around. But anyway, my point is, how do we know that we are part of the blue team? Well, it's because we are the blue team with the purple jerseys. We all have purple jerseys together, okay? But you, you know what I mean? We, we change into our gear in the same change room together. Uh, we are on the same side of the rink together. Uh, we sit on the same bench for the subs together, we're, we're a team. We're, we're kind of like a, a hockey family. And what helps us accomplish our hockey mission, which is to have fun, get some exercise, and maybe win a few games, what helps us accomplish our mission as a team is when we're unified. In fact, I think we won our last game finally. You know, we had a few wins at the beginning and lost a bunch. We just finally won last Wednesday. You know why? We were unified. We're on the same page. We're doing this together. We're not playing on our team. We're playing for our team. For our team. And in a much greater way. Our local church family called Mercy Hill Christian Church. We're a team. Even better, we're a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We partake of the Lord's Supper on Sundays. It reminds us, oh yeah, we're doing this together. We do this collectively. We trust Jesus together. We follow Jesus together. We listen to Jesus together. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, it says, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. We all partake of one bread. And the idea is here, each follower of Jesus takes bread during the Lord's Supper. There's only one kind of bread for us. It's these crackers. All right? And we take the same kind of bread together to show Jesus is our ultimate bread and nourishment, our spiritual food. He's our ultimate hope. And we do this and we remind each other of this truth. We're in this together. We're family. I won't sing the song, We Are Family, but you get the idea. We are family. We're a spiritual family. We find oneness in Christ. He is our one bread, our nourishment. And what this means is, if I've got a problem with you, you know, we're having a big fight, and it's unresolved, you know, that doesn't reflect the unity of Christ. And so I think what we should do is make that right before we take the Lord's Supper or do it shortly after, okay? We should be unified. If we have an outstanding issue with, with another believer in the church, make that right. Make that right. And one last thing on this. I think, you know, we don't do this as a church, by the way. This idea of taking the Lord's Supper together. And all that that means is, you know, everyone gets their little cracker, okay, and then you get your cup of juice, and then someone from up front, maybe me, maybe someone else, okay, this is the body of Christ, take and eat, then we eat it together. And then you take, this is the blood of Jesus, you drink the juice together. This is the blood of Christ of the new covenant. We should do that. Maybe we'll do that today. I don't know. We'll figure that out. We haven't really planned it that well. But that just reminds us, oh yeah, one family, one team, one God that we follow. Okay, let's move on to point number five in our notes about the Lord's Supper is that it's a reminder of the hope. There's a future element to the Lord's Supper, this hope that we have in Christ of this future wedding feast of the Lamb in heaven. Maybe you've been married recently or you think back to when you were married or you've been to a wedding at some point. Generally speaking, wouldn't you say wedding receptions tend to be somewhat happy times at least or quite happy times? They tend to be really awesome actually. The food is great. This new young couple starting a new life together. 
there's a lot of laughs. You know, Uncle Joe's up at the microphone. It's just weird, but it's still funny. And everyone's gathered around together, and there might be good food, there might be good wine, there might be good non-alcoholic beverages, but generally speaking, wedding receptions are, are amazing. They're wonderful. And part of what the Lord's Supper is designed to do is to remind you and to remind me that someday Jesus is coming back and what he is doing, he is going to gather his church together and in the new heavens and the new earth that he's preparing, there will be Jesus hosting the ultimate wedding reception that we get to eat at. And look what Jesus says about this day. Matthew 26, 29, it says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine, that's the wine, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so he's pointing to this ultimate marriage supper of the Lamb. He promises us this in Revelation chapter 19. And we're going to eat together with Jesus again. It's going to be good. This will be in the new restored heavens and new earth that Christ is currently preparing for us. And in addition to that, if you're a believer in Christ, you will receive this new resurrection body raised in power. It will will be similar to the resurrection body of Christ. And then at this meal, we'll celebrate. We'll eat together. And only God knows what day on this future calendar that the marriage supper of the Lamb will take place. No one knows the day or the hour of his return. But if you trust in Christ, you will be there. And so my point is, when you take the Lord's Supper today and every Sunday, don't forget Remember the future marriage supper of the Lamb, the future Lord's Supper, where you will celebrate it in person with Jesus, and that's the hope given to you by trusting in Christ. What a great hope we have. Last point about the Lord's Supper is number six in your notes as we're coming in for a landing here. Simply this, only those who, this is somewhat controversial, only those who believe in and are baptized should take the Lord's Supper. It's always great to finish with a controversial point, uh, to end a sermon, but that's what we're doing. And we're getting this from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 27 to 30. And this is pretty intense stuff, so get ready, okay? Here's what it says. Whoever, therefore, Paul says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner uh, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And this is where it really gets amped up. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Now, we don't know too much about totally what's going on there, but let me explain that a little bit. Here's what you need to know about this Corinthian church that Paul wrote these words to. The Corinthian church was a gong show. It was nuts. I mean, they didn't really look like Christians at all. They looked like partiers more than anything, okay? It was a gong show. Uh, And and so so was their celebration of the Lord's Supper a gong show. And as they would celebrate this potluck meal together, because again, that's how they celebrated the Lord's Supper, they would have this potluck meal. Um, uh, They were getting drunk at this potluck meal, okay? Uh, Grabbing food for themselves so the, the needy and the hungry people in their own church family we're not getting enough food to eat because the people over here that had, more, had enough to eat were taking, you know, garnishing food for themselves at the poor's expense, okay? And then they're fighting with each other during this meal and, and calling each other names. And, and it seems that many were participating in the Lord's Supper in that church who were not even Christians, those with no belief or trust in King Jesus at all. 
And so notice here, Paul connects the fact that this gong show is happening and the result of this gong show with the Lord's Supper, people are sick in the church. Uh, Some people are dying. Why? Because they're not taking it seriously. They're not examining themselves when they partake of this very important sacred meal. Here's my point. There's some question marks about that passage, but here's my point. Based on the gong show that was the Corinthian church, I believe we need to take the Lord's Supper seriously. And this is why we encourage, generally, uh, you know, only people who, have, who are Christians and have been baptized should take communion. This is why we also discourage kids from taking communion as well. Um, and this is why we discourage non-believers to, from taking communion. Now, we're a church that does open communion, so the ball is in your court. We don't try to control the process. We leave it to you according to your own discretion. Uh, but doesn't it make sense, you know? A person should only participate in taking the Lord's Supper if you believe and trust in Jesus as Lord and King, all right, and if you've been baptized. I mean, isn't Jesus best honored this way? That's kind of what we say about that. So there you have it. That's all I've got to say about the Lord's Supper. Uh, let's now transition to a time of taking the Lord's Supper. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, thank you for starting this and instituting this meal, first with the Passover and then with Jesus showing us the meaning of what the Passover was pointing to, and that was you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for us as the perfect spotless lamb. We are filled with spots. We are filled with sins. But by trusting in you, our sins are taken away because you, as the perfect lamb of God, was sacrificed for us and you rose again on our behalf. We are so deeply, truly grateful. Lord, help us not to forget that the Lord's Supper points to the marriage supper of the lamb. Thank you for that hope and that future that you've given any and all Christians who trust in you. And so we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We don't deserve any bit of these wonderful benefits that you've freely given to us. And so we love you for those gifts and for who you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.